Please always consult with your physicians prior to making any changes to your treatment plan. Music is courtesy of Ryan Hamner. Welcome to Living with Scanxiety, the cancer podcast, a podcast geared to help you navigate the pediatric cancer world. As a mother of a child who battled a soft tissue sarcoma for over a year, your host, Rosaria Kozar, understands and will help guide you through your journey. She brings the knowledge of experts, families, survivors, and other organizations tied to the pediatric cancer world to your doorstep. Her mission is to inform, support, and promote hope for you and your family. This is where hope lives. This is where hope thrives. Together as one. teenagers we know exactly what's going on we can understand everything so it does weigh on our minds a lot more so the biggest thing I do preach to uh, the teenagers that I've met with cancer is to just talk like don't bottle everything up you know you need to talk about these things because you are going through a very unique and difficult situation that your friends aren't particularly going to understand your family's not going to understand so you do need to talk and kind of almost tell people how you want to be supported. Hi, this is Rosaria. And today I have with me Ellie Waters. And we're going to be talking about some psychological factors that she didn't really know about until after she became the survivor that she is today. Uh, she had Aviola rhabdomyosarcoma and she was successfully treated and is now going to become a doctor herself. She was accepted into every single school that she applied to. She has been featured on BBC and other local news networks. She has her own YouTube channel. I can't say enough about her when you talk about a advocate. Ellie Waters should come right up. So welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. Well, the pleasure is all mine. So let's jump right in. You were at a conference and spoke about psychological factors. Do you want to get yeah. more into that? Yeah. So I was asked to speak at a conference about the psychological impact of cancer treatment, specifically on teenagers. And it was something I felt very passionate about because when I was going through treatment, no one ever warned me about the psychological impact that it would have on me. And because I didn't, I wasn't really aware of mental illness. Um, I suffered in silence for a long time uh, when I was diagnosed. And, you know, a few months after I was diagnosed, I developed anxiety. So it would keep me awake at night. I would, you know, be constantly crying. I'll get panic attacks. But, you know, I never mentioned this to my doctors because my doctors were very physical symptoms focused. So, you know, I just saw it as something I had to deal with myself. I had to learn to cope with it, you know, and it was really hard. And I, and I think, you know, for a lot of teenagers that I talk to, the psychological impact is actually worse after treatment. So I think it's also making people aware of that because when the treatment finishes, cancer doesn't just end. You know, you're left with like a myriad of long-term side effects and then you've got the psychological impacts on top of that. So I wanted to bring awareness to the kind of medical community at this conference about the psychological impact, giving my own personal experience, but then also being a voice for other teenagers that I know of who've had similar experiences so that we can kind of tailor their clinical practice to including the psychological impacts. So um, it was really useful. We got a really good response. I even had 
pregnant oncologist come up to me afterwards and say that she's going to implement some of the things I said in my conference in her own like clinical practice. So that's like a really exciting step forward and just to raise a bit more awareness of the psychological impacts of cancer treatment. Wow. I mean, that is a really key point because you do see, or at least as a caregiver, I did see a lot of children suffering on that aspect as well. What would be the top three things that you noticed that happened after treatment that affected you the most? Because you said during treatment, you were going through anxiety. What were the top three and how did you overcome them? And did your parents help you? And if not, this is a line question, what could they have done? Okay, so I think so. the hardest thing for me was integrating back into normal life because I felt so different. I was not the same Ellie. I was, everyone knew me as the cancer kid. So it made going back into school really difficult because people didn't treat me the same way. People were almost scared to talk to me. So I found that really hard. But the way that I sort of overcame that was I made people comfortable with me by, you know, constantly initiating conversations with them to make them feel comfortable with me and that, you know, I'm not just cancer. I do have other things to say. So I think that helps because a lot of people are scared that they're going to say the wrong thing. So, you know, if I didn't talk to anybody, it would have made me feel really depressed. So to sort of kind of spin that around and try and get people to talk to me and integrate back into my class, I just kept talking to people um, and tried to be as normal as possible, I suppose. But it was really difficult because I could no longer relate to my peers, I felt like a complete outsider because I just had different priorities, different life experiences to them. So I couldn't talk about the newest lipstick or, you know, which boy I liked because that wasn't on my radar at all. I was, you know, focused on myself and my health. So, you know, it was really difficult. I didn't feel like a normal teenager anymore. Oh my gosh, Ali, that sounds so difficult. Did your parents end up helping you with any of that? Um, so I, you know, they didn't help as such of like giving me practical advice. I was very much, you know, I kind of relied on myself for that. However, you know, if I did have trouble at school, because I did repeat the school year, so I was actually thrown into a completely new school year with new people. So they did help me if I was feeling down one day, I could talk to them and like talk it out. And mum was always a really good support uh, when stuff like that happened. Well, I'm sorry you experienced all that. And it's reintegration into the community is also difficult as a caregiver because your child is given so many things. For me in Boston, it was Red Sox tickets, visits with famous people, all these things. Yeah. And then it's just it's taken away. And that's a good thing, but it's a total transition back to another new normal. And it yeah. seems like that's what you went through as well. Yeah, it was really difficult because, you know, like going back to school, I was on like a part-time schedule and people would say, oh, you're so lucky that you don't have to go back to school all the time. And when I went for my wish, they're like, you're so lucky that you went to New York. And, you know, I, you know, I am very lucky that I did get those opportunities, but because of cancer, but I'm not lucky as a whole because I did get cancer. So people are very narrow minded, which used to irritate me a lot. <laughs> That's awful. Yes. No, that is a common theme that, oh, you're so lucky, but they forget the part that you're, you're sick. I've had that happen too on the opposite end. So it seems 
seems like your parents weren't extremely involved in your mental health at that time. If they could have helped more, how could they have helped? Um, I think the biggest thing I actually spoke about at the conference is not having them in consultations. So I think because mum was so like obsessive and protective, of course, during my treatment, she was always in every single consultation with me. And I didn't want to upset her by telling her to go. But, you know, the, the reason my mental health kind of didn't really get picked up for so long is because she was there. So I was almost protecting her because I didn't want to say my true thoughts and how negative my thoughts were in my mind in front of her because I didn't want to put extra stress on her. So I think that's the biggest thing. If the conversation steers to mental illness, then I think really the doctor should take the parents out of the room because I found it so much easier to open up when my parents were out of the room because I didn't have to protect them. I could just say how I've been feeling. And that's a pretty common theme. I keep saying that, but a lot of children want to protect their parents. So uh, yeah, it's I- very difficult for them to take a step back. But at times you have to let it go. I'm not ready <laughs> for that. My son's three. I'm like, yeah. ah, I can't let him go. <laughs> yeah, that's what my mom was like. I said, my mom was like, oh, you can tell me um, anything. But in my head, I couldn't tell her anything because not because I didn't trust her. It's because I wanted to protect her. And because I, I have a twin sister and she, you know, her mental health was really negatively impacted by my diagnosis. So I almost thought my mum's got enough on her plate having to deal with Liv's mental health. You know, she doesn't have to have mine on top of it. So I tried to put a brave face. And because everyone was complimenting me saying I'm so strong, I'm so brave, I almost felt the pressure to live up to a sort of expectation. So I kind of suppressed my negative thoughts and my mental health because I thought, you know, I have to appear as strong, brave, courageous, I can beat cancer. But inside I was, you know, I had a total turmoil of emotions going on and anxiety that, you know, was left suppressed and kind of spiraled into this bigger thing. Um, and I eventually sought counseling to help with that. Well, that's good that you reached out. And it must have been so tough to feel alone. I'm so sorry you went through that. That's that's not easy. Um, you yeah, definitely did pick yourself up and you are a true advocate for the community now. Uh, yeah. And one of the things you advocate is advocate on is the side effects. And one major side effect you focus on is the menopause. <laughs> and just yeah. so you know, Ellie is how old now? I'm 19. Okay. So when we're talking about this, she is 19 years old and she is four years out from treatment. Yeah. Five years in September. Well, I'm three years out of treatment and then five years since diagnosis in September. Okay. So tell us about this, your huge topic that you advocate. Okay. So, you know, not the majority, but a lot of young girls who go through cancer treatment, it can affect your ovaries. That happened for me because not only do I have the chemotherapy, but I have pelvic radiotherapy as well. So when I came out of treatment, I had all these menopausal symptoms like hot flashes, night sweats, achiness, fatigue. And yeah, and then I kind of went on to some sort of HRT, um, which was like estrogen and progesterone, which helped for a bit. But then my menopausal symptoms came back. But because there's not enough emphasis on the aftercare for cancer treatment, it wasn't a priority. So I'll just put on waiting list after waiting list and had to wait for months to see a menopause specialist and in this time you know my mental health had been really good in remission but during the time where I had to wait for an endocrinologist which is a hormone doctor my mental health really went downhill because you know at the time I was like 15 16 all the 
girls in my year were um, getting more curvy. They were um, like developing properly. They started talking about boys getting into relationships. And meanwhile, I was there feeling like a complete outsider because I did not experience anything, anything like they had because I was too busy dealing with the menopausal symptoms. And I really did suffer in silence because in a way, I felt because I was so lucky to have survived cancer, I felt too guilty to talk about my kind of side effects of the menopause because I felt like I was overreacting. I should just be super grateful that I'm alive, which I am. But, you know, the symptoms were getting to me a lot and they were progressively getting worse as I was just waiting on the um, endocrinologist appointments and there was no sense of urgency or priority with it. So it made me feel like I was overreacting. And it's really important that young women are advised on the menopause because the menopause doesn't just mean that your periods stop. You know, you can get a load of, a whole host of horrendous side effects that you can deal with. And not only that, it can affect your long-term health. It can increase your risk of osteoporosis, cardiovascular disease, dementia. So it creates quite a stark outlook. Um, and it's not, it's not great. So, you know, I advocate about the menopause because A, I don't want other teenagers to feel alone like I did. And B, just to spread awareness to the, I guess, cancer community that it is really important that we do treat the menopause. We give it its utmost respect that it deserves so that young women can be put on hormone replacement therapy and feel normal because I felt like a complete outsider. I can only imagine being the age you are going through that. And you said you had a sister, so you felt like you had to protect her as well? Oh yeah, definitely. I felt like I had to protect everyone. I almost felt a sense of blame because I was diagnosed and I kind of caused some sort of like eruption in the household and, you know, everyone was sad and stuff. Not that it was my fault, really, because I couldn't help it, but I did feel a sense of, you know, responsibility there. So I wanted to try and be as upbeat as I could around my siblings, um, especially just to make them feel better. So I hid a lot of my true feelings from people and that's why I did suffer in silence with the psychological impacts because I was protecting everybody around me. Do you think that there's something to that a caregiver or even a sibling could do to have kind of curbed that for you? Um, I think maybe talk, maybe because um, I felt they protected me a lot. So we almost were doing it to each other. And because of that, I didn't, they weren't really expressing their emotions. And therefore, I wasn't expressing my emotions to them because my twin sister, she wouldn't say, you know, the psychological impacts, you know, my diagnosis had on her. So I almost thought that everyone was okay and that I was making a big deal of it. Whereas if we all came together and talked about how we felt and were able to be honest with each other, that probably would have made me open up a bit more. Because if they felt comfortable talking about their issues, then I would have maybe felt more comfortable to talk about my issues and then work together on that. But we were all just protecting each other. So it kind of worked against each other at times. So it seems like there was the lack of communication. And you're a huge advocate for AYA, which is basically teens and a little bit older that get uh, or are diagnosed with cancer. So you, what is your main objective for them when you're raising awareness? 
My main objective for them is, you know, actually just to talk about the mental health side of things, because I find a lot with little kids, of course, they don't really understand what's going on. So they are very resilient in the way that they can kind of brush it off and get on with things. Whereas for teenagers, we know exactly what's going on. We can understand everything that so does weigh on our minds a lot more. So the biggest thing I do preach to uh, the teenagers that I've met with cancer is to just talk, like don't bottle everything up you know you need to talk about these things because you are going through a very unique and difficult situation that your friends aren't particularly going to understand your family's not going to understand so you do need to talk and kind of almost tell people how you want to be supported because I think we can like suffer in silence because we feel we don't know how to express our emotions or talk about these things so I do try and advocate to uh, talk as much possible and to be mental health aware because I certainly wasn't I I didn't realize my panic attacks and me not sleeping at night was related to anxiety. I just, you know, I just got on with it because I just thought that was normal, but it's really not. So that's what I try and advocate and just to not suffer in silence. So that's why I particularly advocate the menopause because it is something that teenagers feel too embarrassed to talk about. So it is something that they, you know, can get a lot worse. And I try and encourage people and give people the confidence to open up those conversations uh, with their doctors, with their family members because you know you can have survived cancer but you may be left with all these horrible side effects so you need to talk about them and get the best treatment possible to improve your quality of life wow i applaud you on all the effort that you do you're so amazing and when you talked about bottling it do you ever run into any aya survivors or fighters that have parents that bottle or caregivers i should say doesn't necessarily have to be a parent that bottle it up afterwards. They don't want to talk about it. They want to put it on a shelf. And if you do, how do those individuals come back to you and and say it's hurting them? Well, it's actually interesting you say that. I did have a boy message me today that I kind of kept in contact with. And he lives, I believe he lives in Korea. So he was actually saying how he's really struggling with the mental health sort of side of things and with PTSD. But he doesn't really want to talk to his doctors or his family members about it. Because I think particularly where he lives, it's seen as, you know, if you have mental health problems as a boy, then you are weak. And um, I don't know what the other words for it are, but it's, you know, you he can't, doesn't feel like he can open up about it because of the stigma around it. So what I said to him, and actually because of his bad mental health is affecting his sleep. So what I said to him is that ultimately you're the one who's got to deal with these problems, not everyone else. So you need to be your own advocate and talk and say what your problems are to your doctors and your parents because you need to get the support that you need because you shouldn't have to fight and survive cancer and then be left with all these horrible you know, mental health implications afterwards. It's like a second battle that you don't have to do if you get the help. If you get the help, if you get the counselling, I've really suggested to him to get counselling because that really, really helped me. And you know, just taking ownership and being able to get the support that you need because you shouldn't have to suffer. You've already suffered enough. So if there's ways to that it can be helped or treated, then go for it. Wow. Well, I hope you helped him and I hope he makes positive decision for himself. So for the sake of time, I have to wrap up, but I just wanted to say, is there any last minute information that you want to share with uh, someone out there? I would just say we've 
life. I think cancer doesn't end when treatment finishes, as I've said before. So it's really important that you not only take of your take care of yourself during treatment, but take care of yourself afterwards. I think it's easy to neglect your health after cancer treatment and think that you're all fine now and just get on with normal life. But you do really need to prioritize yourself. And if you are having struggles with your mental health, things like PTSD, then do get it sorted because ultimately you're the one who's going to have to live in this body for the rest of your life. So you need to take care of it the best way that you can. And if there's treatment and support out there, then go for it. Definitely. And just so you know, Ellie has a YouTube channel. She is on basically every type of social media. I don't know. Are you on TikTok yeah. yet? <laughs> no, I'm on TikTok. And I'm not on Twitter either because I can never get the hang of that. Okay. So she's on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. Facebook. Yeah. Uh, I'll have all the links up in my uh, website, www.livingwithanxiety.org backslash show notes. So check it out there and you can get links to everything. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to Living with Scanxiety. Please subscribe to hear more informative discussions like today's. Music is courtesy of Ryan Hamner.